This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to provide their feedback last week about the whole Expo conversation. It was something that's been really bugging me and I've really wanted to talk publicly about it, but I'm always apprehensive because a bunch of you did suggest not sharing that info and I know stuff like that always makes waves, but I do appreciate that most of you really understood where I was coming from. The only very, very quick point that I don't know if I was clear enough about is if you're just starting out in the scene and you're a noob and you're trying to get your name out there, do the opposite of what I was talking about. Like that is the time to to go on your own dime to these things and to meet other creators in person and to show them that you're a good person, not a drama channel looking to start trouble. You just want to show up and hang out. And, you know, there's been so many times where I've met new friends, you know, squashed tiny little insignificant beefs and, and made friends out of that at these expos. And I just, I wanted to make sure that it, my whole thing wasn't like this dark cloud looming over expos. There really was so many amazing times and I do still plan on attending as many as I can. I just, uh, and, and you know, if you're a new person in the scene, just trying to get noticed, you certainly shouldn't expect to get paid for that. You got to kind of earn it. So I just wanted to make sure I was clear about that. I don't think anybody misunderstood, certainly nobody in the comments, but if you're just listening and you don't have time to comment, I don't want you, I don't want you thinking that I, I'm, you know, I'm being a, a whole downer about this. I really mostly positive. I just kind of had to draw the line for myself because right now I just, you know, uh, that whole conversation just brought up memories of how much money I've lost and still are kind of losing from from deals gone weird at previous expos. <laughs> so I'm glad to, glad to share it. But all right, now on to non-expo related Q&A stuff. First up, Marco Retro said, thanks for tweeting by no cut CRT RGB mod. Uh, please don't thank me. If it sucked, I would have never tweeted it. <laughs> I mean, all kidding aside, seriously, it was a really great video. I really appreciated your stance on everything. I thought you did a good job. So, you know, you you earned that. And uh, I really would love to promote more people. I just, I don't have the time and I don't have the ability to find everybody. And also, if you kind of, if I flood my Twitter feed with retweets of other people's videos, it, you know, how is anybody going to keep up with all of those? But yours stood out. I really liked it. Subscribe to your channel. I think, I hope, I'm pretty sure I did. But uh, yeah, anyway, continuing. I'll leave a link, obviously, to the video I'm talking about in the description. But um, they heard a few comments of hearing a noise in the video, and they're certain the commenters are referring to the 15 kilohertz frequency, but as someone in their 30s, they can't hear it in the video. What could I recommend for software to detect the noise and filter it out in post? Um, so oddly enough, even though I'm kind of an old man now, I could still hear it and my hearing is oddly still very good, which is strange because even after living in the middle of Manhattan for a while, which is just constant noise, as soon as I moved out to the burbs, where I thought was hearing loss was really just so much white noise that it drowned out everything else. So I could still hear it. I could hear it in your video. I could hear it now. But I think people that grew up with CRTs 
hear it, but it just they don't even notice it. It's just kind of like, you know, the microwave in your house, right? If uh, if your microwave sounds different than mine, I wouldn't even notice if mine was turned on heating up something. But you might be like, oh, your microwave's kind of loud, but it might actually be the same uh, same volume, just a different sound type of thing. So you could look to different kind of audio uh, filtering softwares. I use Isotope Ozone because I got it on a super sale. It's like a hundred bucks or something ridiculously cheap. It's usually way more expensive than that. But you could basically just try to find software to filter it out. My personal stance on that is I don't want to. I kind of like it, but that's opinion. That is not at all fact. That is not, that's just my own stupid opinion. So, you know, if you have that videos with CRTs in them and you want to filter it, I would just look out for specific frequency filtering options and test it out. And also make sure your voice still sounds okay. And if not, you might have to record your voice separately. And then you do any of the stuff where your camera is pointed at the CRT. But yeah, give it a try and see how it works out for you. But for me personally, I'm leaving it in. I think it's kind of neat. Explode Processing has a couple of questions that at first seem kind of easy, but I need to add a little bit of detail to them. So the question is, what's the best DAC, HDMI to component video, digital to analog converter, that they could use for running HDMI consoles through the RetroTINK 5X in order to do things like simulating a look of a CRT on a flat panel? If you're looking for 480p and up, any of the converters at retrorgb.link forward slash cheap DAC should work. If they don't, please let me know because 480p has got to be the most compatible signal out there. So, you you know, there's always a possibility of you getting a bad one. That's, that's just, you know, just the way it is. It's not common, but it does happen. But if you're talking about 15 kilohertz, so 480i and 240p, we have a problem. And it's a problem that's always been there, but it's been getting worse. The problem is that you could go to any of those links, Amazon, AliExpress, eBay, doesn't matter, and you could select quantity 10, and you could order 10 of these things, and it is very likely that nine will work right and one won't. Actually, I've been saying that for years. Nowadays, it's probably five and five, and it has to do with the revision of the chip and the firmware that's on it. And the problem is it's very hard to get in touch with the companies that make the chips to figure out how to even make our own. But on top of that, these rebrand companies definitely don't care. They're, and I, I don't necessarily mean that as a dig. It just, it is what it is. They're companies that buy generic cases. They take these generic uh, data sheet chipsets, they slap them together and they sell them on Amazon. And if you're using them for 480p and up, they work fine. And I think even some of them on the listing say 480p and up. So no shade there, of course. So if you're looking to go 480p and up, just that link is fine. I'll leave it in the description. If you're looking for 15 kilohertz, a bunch of us are trying to figure out a much more solid solution, and it's going to be more expensive. There's no way we'd ever be able to compete with these $30 price points on Amazon or 20 on AliExpress. But if we, meaning we in the retro gaming community, make one, it's going to work right 10 out of 10 times, you know, with obviously some smashed in shipping, drop, whatever aside. So we're working on that. So hopefully that was clear for that part. And I do just want to add that the first line of Explode Processing's uh, question here is, I have an obsession with simulating CRTs as close to reference as possible. So do I. So I have two very quick comments for this. First, I've had a lot of fun doing this. I have found different methods that are absolutely amazing, but there's also a long way to go. So don't don't obsess to the point where you're driving yourself crazy. The RetroTINK 5X is an amazing piece of equipment, but the panel that you're using, the distance that you're sitting from it, the resolution, there are so many factors 
that are involved in this. And also there's some speculation, just speculation that we might actually need 8K before we could get true CRT, actually 8K 240 before we could really truly get exactly what you would think from, or what your eyes might perceive from a CRT. And even that's pushing it. I had somebody recently tell me it would actually be 4K, uh, not 240 Hertz, but a thousand Hertz. So while I'm absolutely supporting your obsession and I'm going to continue to do this myself for at least one night a week, I've been messing with stuff like this. I just want to very politely remind you to continue having fun with it and don't go too crazy yet because display technology is not quite there yet and neither is scalar technology. If you want to say, you know, I want an exact one-to-one -one recreation. However, if you're sitting on your couch, a normal distance from your TV and you want a CRT feel, the RetroTINK 5X absolutely destroys every device out there for it. And it's, Mike has made so many, so many amazing additions to it. Keep using it. You're going to love it. A couple of questions from Gemini Man. I'm going to answer the easier one first. That question is, do I recommend buying an audio amp with a built-in DAC with, you know, SPDIF and digital audio conversion or keeping the components separate? And my answer is that your budget and ears need to decide that for you. So the best example is that Marantz amp that I just uh, reviewed a while back and the NAD amp plus the Shipmodi DAC that I also combined that with. I think that if you're in a quiet-ish room with the same exact speakers, that Shipmodi DAC going into that NAD amp would sound better than the Marantz. Now, if you're in a noisy New York City apartment, there's no way you'd be able to tell the difference. If your ears are starting to go because you're getting old, like me, uh, somehow my ears are still with me though, but you you probably would not be able to tell the difference. And that Marantz amp is cheaper than the NAD plus the DAC, but it also offers so many more features. So if, if both of those amps are about in your budget, I would say go for the Marantz unless your focus was analog. So in that case, if it's like, oh, I have all my old consoles hooked up to it, I have a record player, I have all this other stuff, and oh yeah, I also have one console with digital audio out that I prefer, get the NAD. You're going to notice a difference. Once again, unless you're in a very noisy area or your hearing's kind of on its way out. But if you're like, oh, I want HDMI, digital, record player, Apple AirPlay, Bluetooth, all in one, that Marantz is definitely the better choice for the money. So I would always kind of just let your budget decide on that and in realistic expectations with your ears so and i guess a good just like we were talking before a good way to, to talk about that is if you can't hear the whine of a crt anymore there's a small chance that you might not be able to hear the difference between those but once you start going down the road of dax you could spend thousands on a DAC, and then you get to that whole audiophile thing where you've gone from you know, a 50% amazing solution to a 99, and now you're a 99.1, a 99.2, and nobody could tell the difference except people with perfect hearing or people that like to tell themselves that they hear the difference, just being honest. Um, but to the slightly more complicated question, Gemini Man just wants my current recommendation on how to use a CRT to watch modern digital content. And it's the same as the live stream I did with Lewis, so I'll leave that link as well, as well as the other amps I just talked about. And it's going to be different than gaming for the most part. So there are three basic things that are three or four basic solutions that you could get to do this. If you're just talking about TV shows on a CRT, that cheap Amazon box is probably the best place to start. If you're whatever your source device can't output a four by three signal then or can't resize it, there might be an issue there. But 
it's something that's worth trying first because of price. Now, you could also look at those Extron boxes that might do the same thing, except you would also be able to control aspect ratio, centering, all of that other stuff. Um, neither uh, The first one really isn't for gaming. It would be a little too laggy. The second one might be, especially if you put in the context of your average flat panels latency. It's about the same, maybe a little more, but then you don't have any motion blur on the CRT, so perceived, relation, uh, perceived latency is going to be different. Any flat panel motion blur just to be you know just to be pedantic here um so and then of course you could also get the retro tank 5x which you could kind of that's an expensive solution if you were only going to do this downscaling now if you wanted to also upscale to a flat panel crt filters all the amazing things that the tank 5x does that's a totally different story then you would be able to use that as a very handy tool so i would uh i would just kind of read through the summary you could watch the live stream if you want but it was very long so i would read through the summary that i had and kind of decide for yourself what you want to do but links to the amp and to that um downscaling to a crt summary should probably be what you need matt richenberg wants to know if i've ever done or seen any latency test for the brook wingman converter sd They'd love that it allows them to use a single arcade stick on Xbox 360, Dreamcast, and Saturn. And they've always wondered how much, if any, latency these types of console-to-console controller adapters introduce. So I have not tested it. Uh, On Pork's list, a bunch of the Brook adapters are on there, and the wired ones are always around one millisecond. One of them gets up to two. A bunch of them are less than one millisecond. Um, the wireless one is a little bit more, as as expected, of course. So, generally speaking, the Brook stuff seems to be good. But I, I mean, I have, I have trust issues. So, unless somebody like Pork tests it, or or anybody with a solid test method, like using a Mister to do it, I always exercise some caution. And the conversations that I did have with Brook. Maybe just the rep and I are bad at communicating with each other, but it did not instill confidence in me. Now, listen, I got to be blunt and honest. Sometimes two people just don't communicate that well. Two good people could do that too. So I'm not talking shit about Brooke or the rep that I was talking to. But when I started talking latency, they were basically like, I don't know, want to teach us? And it's like, ugh, gross, no. But if all of their controller adapters that have been tested are so low latency... They obviously have to have some grasp on it. So, yeah, my my personal interaction with Brooke was not good, uh, but my interaction with their adapters has been. And all of the ones that Pork tested were were impressive. So hopefully he would be able to add a bunch of those to it and uh, to the latency list, but I'll leave that list there in case anybody's interested. Darkstar7 wanted to talk about their experience using a VCR to confer RF to composite or S-video. And brought up a couple of points that I probably should have also brought up last week. So it was worth taking a moment to talk about it. First of all, I always recommend VCRs for this first for the very simple reason of cost. I'm still able to walk into a Goodwill or a thrift shop or whatever and find them for 5, 10, 15 bucks, especially in an as-is pile. So it's my opinion, you don't have to agree, that if I bought a VCR for five bucks, knowing that it's probably going to eat tapes, but I only use it to convert RF to composite and it doesn't work, you know, it's a worthy gamble to take. If it does, awesome. You know, you can make your own decision on that. 
However, there are other dedicated boxes. Darkstar mentioned a company called Contemporary Research that made TV tuners that outputted both S-Video and Composite. And I also have that Sony PVM one that Steve from Retrotech talked about on his channel over there and one from Extron. But those were a lot more expensive than $5, $10, or $15. So that's certainly something to consider. Um, also, Darkstar talked about converting RF to S-Video. And I do want to just remind everybody, especially anybody kind of new to the scene, that that is for signal convenience. You're not going to have RF look like S-Video. RF and composite, if you live in an area without much inter wireless interference, could look almost identical if not, but you're not going to get the upgrade to S-Video quality. Now, that said, let's say you have a CRT with an S-Video input and you have three consoles that are connected via an S-Video switch. You have one extra port. So converting it from RF to S-Video as opposed to composite might be a really great a really great solution because now your CRT, consumer grade, S-Video only, PVM, whatever it is, now you don't have to switch the CRT's input, you just switch the input on your switch and it becomes a lot more convenient. So that is an awesome reason for it. I just wanted to make sure people didn't think there was a way to upscale to S-Video quality. The one thing that I also wanted to touch upon was price, though, because Darkstar said they paid $60 for their VCR, and that was in an as-is pile, and they would actually like to watch some tapes on it, but that that one that they got was the size of a tank and doesn't play tapes anymore, so they have this giant big heavy box just for converting the signal. And I guess VCRs with S-Video around them are closer to 400. So that's something that um, that you definitely want to watch out for. Stay away from VHS VCR scams. Um, there is no magic out there that is going to make a VCR look HD. It's just it's not a thing. Yes, I know. It's you know if you want to actually me, there are HD VCRs. There is an SVHS, but I'm talking about your average average tape that you would get either from a store or your own home videos or whatever else no little gotcha niche scenarios here you know you're not going to get anything that just that's going to wow you today compared to other sources so if if you want s video because you want the best extracting the video signal then cool but you don't really need that if you just want to watch some old tapes especially if whatever your display is has a really good comb filter in it um, and just Instead of searching for S-Video VCRs on eBay, you might want to just look into certain models that offer it. I have two JVCs here. One I paid $84, the other I paid $154. Both are excellent. The, the more expensive one had a built-in time-based corrector, which I'll eventually show all that stuff in a video. It's going to take a while to make that video. But... Um, but you don't need that if you're going to a CRT. If you're, if you're only going to a tube TV, not a flat panel, any... VCR that has S-Video output should be able to get what you need. But really, just consider composite as well, because you're not going to get a huge jump in quality. Now, I'm talking about, once again, context. I'm talking about just watching tapes for nostalgia's sake or to experience what it was like to watch these in the 80s and 90s. If you're doing archival work, it's a completely different conversation. Doomsday Duplicator, definitely get a pro level VCR with S video and a time-based corrector. You know, if you're, if you have home videos that are so important to you, cause you have past loved ones that you want to make sure to digitize and have that live on, it might actually be worth it to you to drop some coin and take some time. And if you want to do that, it's a different conversation. I'd be happy to have again, but just in the context of watching tapes, that's I think I summed it up. Okay. 
Eli wanted to chime in regarding what could power up a roadside CRT. They have a Goal Zero Yeti 1000 with a 3000 watt surge and a Yeti 500X with a 1200 watt surge. And the 500X does not have enough surge wattage to turn on a 35 inch CRT. For this application, what's important is the surge wattage, which is much higher when it first turns on and degausses. So I really appreciate you chiming in, Eli, and thank you for testing as well. Unfortunately, though, the Goal Zero Yeti 1000 is also $1,000, way out of my budget for that. Um, I was kind of hoping, unrealistically, I guess, that they could have a hundred and something dollar device. Like, I did link to one for reference that probably will not work, but it's a device that's a jump pack for your car. It's also an air compressor. So if, you know, you come out of a parking lot and you realize you have a slow leak in your tire and you don't want to drive on it, you takes forever to use those little compressors, but you sit it there for 20 minutes, blow your tire up and it'll get you to a repair station. And it has an AC outlet. And of course, in the marketing commercials, it shows somebody using a MacBook on there, you know, implying it's powerful enough for a laptop, but you're right about the surge wattage. So, um, you know, maybe I'll buy that cheap one just for the heck of it, because the one I have is 10 years old, and I would be surprised if it would even work jumping a car anymore. So I need another one anyway just to have. So maybe I'll give it a try. But anybody else with any suggestions like that, please keep chiming in. And if anybody has one and they'd be willing to test, please let us know. Because if there is one that is a multi-purpose device, so, you know, you're not just buying this to see if you could power up a CRT you find on the side of the road. You're actually buying it for many reasons that I think that would actually be pretty cool. So please let us know what you got. Jeff L. wanted to talk a little bit about oscilloscopes. I had done that video on the cheap scope that I always keep right next to me uh, right before the end of the year. That's a $30 scope that I think really is a great tool to have in your toolbox. And if you'll note, this is brand new because I also, every time a friend of mine locally was like, oh, I should buy one of those. I gave them mine and then ordered another one from an alternative link to make sure it is actually the same thing with a different branding on it. And they've all been the exact same. So just a little note for that one. Uh, but Jeff's question was that, my previous videos on scopes were mostly specific to the Rigel DS1054Z. I always forget the model. It's sitting right next to me. Would I consider a beginner tutorial on this cheap scope that is as detailed as the Rigel ones? And the polite answer is no, but the reason is because that cheap scope video I did, that really encompasses what you should be using this for. Very quick safety testing. And that's really it. I'm sure there's other things you could use it for. I'm sure somebody who's a scope expert, which I am not, I uh, just, you know, I follow instructions that people have, have given me and I do my own testing. But I really think that's just a test tool, not a development tool. So if you wanted to dig in deep and get into a lot of detail and figure out exactly how to do analysis of signals and, and check certain things and do a, a tweaking of CD-ROM drives if you're changing the lasers, you would want to get the better scope. You would not want to use a $30 scope for that. Um, so it's, you know, hopefully the answer came out positive. I certainly didn't mean any disrespect by, by it. I'm just, I guess my, my point is just use the right tools for the right thing. You might be able to use this for a bunch of other stuff, but I wouldn't trust it. However, if you're just testing your super gun, your SCART cable, whatever else, then this thing should be more than good enough just to make sure it's it, all of your equipment is safe to use. So hopefully I, I'd um, kind of put that into perspective, but I'll leave links to everything if uh, people are interested. Billy Retro Gamer has a bunch of consoles connected to the RetroTink 5X via composite video, 
and noticed that some of the options in the Tinks menu are grayed out when using Composite. They're only available when using Component Video. So if they use something like a Core U Transcoder to convert that signal to Component, would they be able to use some of the ADC options that are available for that? And the answer is yes, but those options are grayed out for a very specific reason. Those signals need to be manipulated very differently before being digitized. So that's why some are not available. And same thing when you're using RGB or Component, some of the composite video stuff isn't available because you don't need it, because there is no filtering or anything like that. So this is one of those things where if you already owned a Koryu, I would say, hey, give it a try. It's not going to harm anything. Probably not going to work right, but why not? But I would never recommend buying one to do this test, unless you're just a crazy nerd like me that wants to test everything under the sun. But um, no, I would I would use the RetroTINK exactly as intended. I'm sure you're already getting a pretty amazing output. And I'd be willing to bet if you're on the latest firmware and you've tried the CRT filters, that makes composite look even better. So I would just kind of use it and love it for how it is and not try to force something like that because the results almost surely won't be won't be good. Darkstar7 just wanted to echo my comments about making sure to recap the full Pioneer laser active device and not just the pack. And yes, the packs are usually what receive the most damage, but not getting the rest of the unit fully dialed in is a disaster waiting to happen. They were in the middle of playing Don Quixote and the head dropped, leaving a big scratch across where it moved across the disc. And that is a hard to come by title. And now they'll probably never be able to finish the game because it's scratched. So you know, that's a good point. It's just, this is my opinion, do whatever you want with your consoles and stuff, but the rarer and more expensive it is, the more you want to pay attention to it. And I'm not saying, you know, jump up and down on some cheap console that you could buy another one. I'm just simply saying, if you have a Sega Genesis, you popped the top off and none of the caps look like they're leaking, you're fine. You know, check back every year to make sure if you want to do it as a hobby, cool. And the worst thing that could happen is you forget about it and one of the caps starts to leak and maybe you have to do some cleanup, but it's really not the end of the world. But consoles that are known to do this, so Sega CD1, Game Gear, that one cap on the Xbox, um, the Express, Turbo Express, uh, Express and PC Express, if you don't do it, you're going to damage those, and those are all getting more expensive. Even the original Xbox, but that's one cap, so you could snip that one. No excuse not to get in there and do it. But when you're talking about the Pioneer Laser Active with the modules, those are really expensive. So it's just kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like buying a classic car now, right? You could save up your money and spend 50 grand on a, a classic car, but unless you make sure that you get it running... If you leave it outside, it's just going to rot outside and rust out. You need to continue to put maintenance into it and keep it running, keep it on the road, you know, so to speak. So just my opinion, do whatever you would like with your consoles. But if it were me personally and I owned a Pioneer Laser Active, I'd be contacting people. I'd be looking around on social media to see who's recapped them in the past and make sure I check their reputation and then send it to those people because they have the experience doing it and cross my fingers and hope everything went, goes well. But yeah, I would absolutely do it just because it's just so much money to so much potential for money to be lost. Andrew Przbilski asked a question that seems like a simple question, but as usual, YouTube and support services and everything else makes it way more complicated. So I'm going to go through it all. Um, the question is, is there any chance I could share my live streams on support services like Patreon and Floatplane? Because they're a great background noise, and also having them on these services would help them find them easier. 
without random ad blasts at different or higher volumes. So I got to address the ads first because they really, really piss me off. Here's how the live streams work. When I'm done and I hit end stream, I can't click on monetization and edit where the ads go. It has to finish processing the video. So I try to remember to later that night or first thing the next morning, log in and set the ads. If it's a shorter stream, if it's under two hours, I'll do it like um, every 30 minutes. If it's over two hours, I'll do it every 45 minutes. So you're really only seeing through three or four ads max, no matter what, which is fair for multiple hours, you know, just 15 seconds ads or something like that. Um, however, often I forget. And when I first started reading your question, I went and double checked that last, the last couple of live streams I did. And the one I did with Steve with the 14L5 had like 50 ads auto-generated on it. It made me so mad. Nobody would sit through that. I wouldn't sit through that. So I deleted all of them and then just added the, you know, I think I added three total for an hour and a half stream or something like that, or maybe two or whatever, but a reasonable amount. So, um, if anybody ever runs into a situation like that, where any of my videos just have a million ads, please comment on the video, message me, whatever. Uh, it just, it's a mistake and it drives me crazy. I wish there was a way to prevent that from ever happening. Now, um, to answer your question though, if you're talking about um, wanting to a way to see these without ads at all, you could always just watch them on BitChute or Odyssey. I have those services set up to auto download and re-upload the videos to them. I haven't checked those services in over a year. I don't even know if they're still working. So they should be though. Um, but obviously I don't promote them because although I make pennies off the ads, it's just, you know, it's continuing to drop those pennies in a bucket where at the end of the month, hopefully I get some bills paid with them. But you're a supporter, a monthly supporter. So you shouldn't have to watch ads, period but there's really no way to interface all of this stuff together to make that happen. And in fact, if you decided, okay, well then I'm gonna stop supporting on Patreon and support on YouTube's monthly support service, that'll kill the ads, right? No, which is enraging that YouTube wouldn't do that. If you're paying somebody a monthly support fee, you should never have to watch a single ad on their video, but it's just, it's not how the services work. And if you're talking about re-uploading the videos to Patreon and Floatplane, First of all, I don't have access to upload videos on Patreon, which is a feature I thought they were adding, so I'm not sure what's up with that. But also that would require me to either download them from YouTube or record locally here, and there'd be a bunch of issues with that, and it's also very time-consuming to start dealing with all of that. The the auto re-upload services are fine, but you know, it very much sounds like, oh, well, couldn't you just hit record locally, then just upload it and copy the description and copy the thumbnail? and then make sure it all works and make sure the audio is good. And then, okay, let me double check the comments over here. You, when I say that out loud, you start to realize like there's a lot of crap that's involved with making or uploading any video. So it's, um, you know, it's just, it's very time consuming, but I don't have the ability to upload it on Patreon anyway. Also, uh, I guess a question, if anybody made it through this long exam or long answer and examples, how much more would you all like me to post on these support services. Because the last time I asked was in the context of, hey, do I treat the monthly support services like my social media? And then just repost those on the other social media services, but really just ignore Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and only kind of comment here so I could spend more time hanging out with the people that support Retro RGB. And the overwhelming answer was no, do not do that because I'm gonna just ignore your feed 
because I don't really care about, you know, the cool retro gaming thing you saw when you were walking down the street today. I just want to watch the weekly videos and participate in the Q&As. I don't want my feed cluttered up with all that stuff. But that was a couple of years ago. So if that's changed, that is something I would absolutely be willing to do. Um, my content will always be free, period. But I, it would be kind of neat to maybe kind of keep it down to just these services and kind of just ignore some of the other ones. But you know, I do, I do really enjoy interacting with other people, but it comes down to hours, right? I don't have the time to continue doing all of this stuff. And like, I'm missing probably a couple of, uh, like regular podcasts in the next couple of weeks, just cause I haven't had time to do them. So I don't know, maybe, maybe freeing up time would involve, unfortunately, just kind of ignoring Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram and all of that, which, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't really, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but why don't you all let me know? What are, what are your thoughts on all of that? You're the ones that are keeping this going, so you should have the most say in this, not me and not anybody else. So let me know what you think. Andrew, please clarify. Did you mean, do you want me to just post, like, hey, I did this live stream today. I keep saying, too, that I'm going to, in the Discord server, uh, post and add everybody every time I go live, and I keep forgetting to do it. Is that annoying, too? I don't know. That's um, There's a lot of questions. It's a, so that's why I kind of opened with, this is a lot more complicated than it seems, but you pose a great question and I'd love to get the right answer. And if it's the right answer for today and not the right answer for tomorrow, we'll continue to change. That's cool too. A couple of questions from Jason Guffey. First, they've been playing a lot of PS2 lately, but they've really been wanting to use some of the Bluetooth controllers like the PS5 or the SN30 Pro. What is the best way to do that? So Will's console mods had the PS Uno Retro that should have done exactly like that, uh, exactly what you wanted. I believe there's other solutions out there now as well, and I believe one of them might even be a clone solution from that notorious company. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of did a very quick search of RetroRGB.com and didn't see anything recent, but uh, I'm just trying to get the Q&A done, so I didn't do too much research. So I'll try to swing back around. If I, if I figure out anything, I'll drop a link in the description. Or if any of you awesome people want to remind me of what's the latest and greatest out there for PS5 controllers on PS2, let's just say, please let me know. Um, next, do adapters for things like SCART, or RCA or RCA to BNC matter as far as quality or interference? Um, yeah, everything does that you put in the analog video chain, but, and the but's the important part. So here's a good example. The RCA to BNC adapters that I always recommend are the cheap ones. And I always say, if you, if you need 10, buy a bag of 15 or 20 and plug them all in, get your console plugged into everything, and then just wiggle them. And if you see the colors start to drop out, figure out which one it is, throw it out, add it, grab another one and go from there. And people somehow get enraged when I say that. Oh, Bob's telling you to waste money and throw stuff out. But grab yourself a calculator and, and check this out. You can get a bag of 20 of the cheap ones for like 10 bucks, or you could spend like four or $5 each on the really good ones. And the difference is in reliability and not really so much in performance. So on the flip side, if you're saying I bought a Rigel DS1054Z scope and I want to do video analysis on this project that I'm building, I'm going to be selling a thousand of them. I want to make sure I get all of my measurements correct. Yeah, drop four bucks a piece. Does it really matter? You're going to buy four of them. So is it really that big of a deal? 
But on the flip side, if you're like, I have a 32 input, input Extron cross point that I'm going to connect all my consoles to, don't waste your money. That Absolutely grab one of the other ones. So for things like RCA to um, couplers or uh, BNC to RCA, get the cheap ones. You, you know, Try to pay attention to brand and stuff like that. But if you're talking about the little tiny adapters, it really shouldn't make that much of a difference. SCART is a little bit of a different beast, though, because you're having so many signals through. So if it's a badly routed board, it'd be the same as using an unshielded cable, as opposed to RCA to BNC, you know, 3.5 millimeter to RCA, stuff like that. So if it's SCART or if it's stuff that's like a longer cable, like a 3-inch RCA to 3.5 millimeter, then you're going to have to do the same tests that I would do in the testing your switch. You know, is there more of an audio buzz? Do you have MD4EA compatible equipment so you could run that test? Run the Super Mario World blue screen test if it's video in there and kind of see. But overall, um, it's it just, you know, uh, it's about, it's really just more about reliability for the, for the really small ones and signal interference for the longer ones. Lastly, what are the consequences of adding another audio device between their receiver and their speakers? Um, you know, it's, it's the basics. Anything that you put in your audio chain could potentially take away from the signal quality. Anytime you change the impedance of your wires or the power going to your speakers, you could potentially blow your speakers out. However, if everything lines up and you have something like an EQ you want to add or some, some other kind of filtering, it could very much improve the quality to your ears. I'm not really sure what the best, the best chain would be for something like that. Uh, it really depends on your total setup. It depends on the components you're using, the speakers that you're using, what the final device is, what kind of EQ it is. It's way out of my league to answer that, to be honest with you. I just know stuff like, you know, if you're going to put in a phono preamp, it would be after your turntable before your regular amp, you know, stuff like that. So I would just kind of research the components, but you, you really just want to make sure you're not going to blow out your speakers and you're not going to put too much of a load on the amp itself. Because anytime you put something in the middle, you could potentially harm both devices, source and target. So I would just kind of do some research and make sure that everything lines up. And also, is that the correct place in the chain to put it? But it's a good question. It's just it's one that could get very, very complicated. And now we're starting to talk about more audiophile level stuff that I don't have a deep expertise in. Oliver Clare has two HDMI modded consoles, an N64 Digital and a Pluto GameCube. There was always a slight pixel shift or jitter effect when plugging those consoles into a 2K HDMI screen, so a 1080p one, but recently when they plugged them into a 55-inch LG OLED C1, the effect was much more noticeable, especially on boot-up screens with static logos or images, like the N64 version of Spider-Man. Just thought it was odd that the problem came up with two different consoles and two different HDMI mods. Is it something I've ever come across? So first, I guess that means you ended up picking up the OLED C1 from the local place. Cool, I'm sure you love it. Um, but to answer your question, if you mean like a chroma subsampling pixel shift or something like that, um, if you're talking about an inherent issue with the output of a console or something like that, going from a 1080p to a 4K screen will just magnify the issue because it has to scale the problem as well as everything else. So the best example is composite video, right? Composite video, 
on a low resolution monitor, it's going to look, you know, like composite resolution on a flat panel, but you start scaling that to 1080p to 4k, you, all of the, you're scaling the interference as well as the image. And that would, that's the same for any kind of weirdness that you see in the signal. Now, why there's a slight pixel shift or jitter effect, I don't really know. I didn't think the N64 Digital had that problem at all. I knew the GC Video Solutions had some weirdness like that that people had reported. But that's something that, um, you know, I would need to see pictures, and I don't even think I would be the best person to ask for that one. Extremes is usually my go-to uh, for, for stuff like this, but... You know, I would kind of get some screenshots and some pictures and, and kind of go from there to see because uh, it's important to figure out exactly what it is that you're seeing and where it's coming from. And it might not be from those digital mods, but I, I guess it probably is. But I don't know. This is a this is one that's a little more complicated than it seems at first, I think. One more from Oliver. Does anybody know if it's possible for a jailbroken PS4 Pro to be forced to output 480p? Um, they know the base model PS4 can output 480p stock and the pro version cannot. And they hadn't come across any custom firmware that claimed to be able to make the pro do that. Is it realistically possible or would the base model be the better choice in this instance? That's a great question. I got no clue. Anybody out there um, mod PS4s and have any idea about the software? I've actually, I don't think I've ever really used a PS4. I've certainly never owned one and I certainly never had the PS4 Pro. So uh, it's odd that it wouldn't output 480p. Um, is, this, is this a known issue? Is this something where if you put an EDID spoofer up to it and say that you're plugging it into a 480p only display, would it then work? Or is it, you know, because that's definitely something I've seen before where you go into the menu settings and there's no 480p choice, but you throw an EDID spoofer on that says the display can only support 480p and now suddenly that option appears. Uh, but I don't know what I'm talking about. That was just a guess. So I'm going to have to... Uh, I think I'm going to have to defer to other people for this one. A couple of questions from D. First was basically the same question as before about how do you watch modern content on CRTs. So I read every word of your question. I'm pretty sure my answer from earlier in this Q&A session answers all of your questions. But if there's anything else specific to your setup, please re-ask and uh, I'll kind of clarify next week. But D also wanted to know about using Japanese consoles in U.S. power. For consoles that have external bricks, they just use triad power supplies, which is absolutely the right move. Um, but what about consoles with internal power supplies? At the moment, they use a big bulky voltage converter, but isn't there a better solution? And there is, but be careful. So first and foremost, the, uh, the replacement homebrew solutions are replacing the internal DC to DC converters and having an external AC to DC. So make sure that wherever you get your internal ones, you also get the exact external ones they link to because garbage AC to DC converter would ruin whatever good internal solution you have. Uh, Meanwhile, Triad, there's a couple of uh, brands that they use for those. So just get a good external one and that should be universal power. So you should be able to use that all over the world should you ever leave the US. But the internal side is where you just want to make sure that you get the good ones because there was some junk ones out there for the Dreamcast. There were some, I think there were some questionable ones for the Saturn. I can't remember, but there's definitely some good ones out there. Uh, Christoph did a design for the Dreamcast that I think is sold by LaserBear and a few others. Um, Will's console mount has a good one for the Saturn as well. Um, 
So I, I would kind of check with those. And if anybody could recommend other stores that sell known good ones, please let me know. My honest apologies. I'm positive there are other stores out there that sell good mods. I'm just going off the top of my head with the stores that I've used before and personally tested. But um, you know, I would definitely look into those and check the comments here for any other suggestions that people have for where to go for that. Well, that's it for this time. I was just checking through the video to make sure everything came out all right, and my voice sounds kind of weird today. Not, it's not audio processing. I don't know if I'm tired or getting a cold or something, but if any of that didn't come out enthusiastic, my apologies. I had a great time this week, like I do every week. So if it just if it sounded like I didn't, my bad. I, I, I had a good time with this one. So not sure what's up. I'll go, you know, take some vitamins and chug a couple beers or something. But anyway, uh, if you're new to these Q and A's, ask any question that you would like wherever it is that you support, but just please ask in the latest Q&A post, because the way these services work, I can't really easily figure out what's a new question on an older post. Plus, it's way easier to just scroll through in real time and answer them like you saw today. Anywhere that you support uh, is cool, though. I just It just so happened that all the questions were on Patreon today, because that's where most of the supporters are, but it's no favoritism. Everybody, uh, you know, it's all the same for all these support services. So as always, thank you all very much, and I'll see you next week.